You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Okay, tonight is Romans chapter 6. As we were, we were already in this passage this morning and started off this morning to try to help us understand the context of Romans chapter 6 and, and how we feel the struggle of sin. At least I feel the struggle, the constant barrage of sin just kind of coming after me and, and tempting and, and it seems like you, know, you never really get a moment's break from it. It's just, it, it's just relentless, it seems like, and, and how even the Apostle Paul felt the weight, felt the weight of that struggle. We're all sinners, and I know most of us in this room tonight would even claim uh, to be saved. You've received Christ as your Savior, but it doesn't mean that that sin nature has disappeared. That sin nature will be present with us as long as we have a body. And if you're a believer, then you, though, as much as it feels like we're meant to lose, you were made to win against sin. And you feel like an underdog very often. You feel very often like... It's designed for you to fail. You feel like, well, if I win three out of ten times, that's doing good. But that's not the way the Bible says we should approach sin. That's not the way that we're supposed to look at that sin nature. If you're a child of God, deliverance from the bonds of sin is not some intangible magic that you kind of work your way into the longer that you're saved. You know, you have, as if you've been saved for one week, and someone over here has been saved for 50 years, you have the same resources available for you to win against sin as, as, as someone who's been saved for a long time, someone who's been saved one day. Now, they may not have all the knowledge and they may not know all the verses and they may not be able to combat it as well as someone with experience, but, but we all have the same opportunity to have victory, to win against our sin nature if we're a child of God. So if you want to win against sin, I think Romans 6 is a wonderful place to start. And that's what Paul is telling the Romans. He's trying to get them to understand that they can win, but they have to know a few things first. And we went through that this morning. Um, in verse 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? And the first thing that we need to know in order to win against sin is we need to know about our position in Christ. We have a position in Jesus Christ. And, and Paul uses the word baptism. But as we talked this morning, baptism is not referring to the step of obedience after a person gets saved. Baptism is not about stirring the waters. Baptizing is, or Baptism is immersion. It's to place into. And so when he says baptized into Jesus Christ... He's saying that we were placed into Jesus Christ at salvation. We were, I don't know how it works. It's a mystery to me. But, but when we're saved, we're placed into Christ. It's a picture of death. Baptism is. And it pictures the death to the old life. When a person gets saved, they die with Christ. Your old life dies when you're placed in Christ. Your old man dies there in Jesus Christ. You're dead to sin because of that. And because you're placed into Jesus Christ... Uh, we died to sin when he died, and therefore we're dead to sin. And I know it's a mystery, and I know it may be something we don't understand or that we struggle with, and, but just because we may not be able to wrap our minds around it 
doesn't mean that it's not true. It's in the same way that, that we would have a tough time wrapping our minds uh, around the Trinity, for instance. Now, we know that the Bible says there are three persons in that Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. There are three persons, and yet they are one. And if you can explain the Trinity to me, uh, I'd like to hear it after church. It's not something that I can fully wrap my mind around. There are three distinct persons, but it's one person. These three distinct persons fulfill three distinct functions. But just because I have a tough time understanding it doesn't mean that the Trinity doesn't exist. And in the same way, just because we have a tough time maybe understanding how we were placed into Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, uh, it doesn't mean that it's not true just because we have a tough time wrapping our minds around it. We've been baptized into Jesus Christ. We've been placed into Jesus Christ. So you know your position. He also says in verse 4 and 5, you have to know what the resurrection means. He says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, we also should walk in the newness of life. By Christ rising from the dead, if we were placed in Christ at his death, when he rose from the dead, then we are now to walk in newness of life. It's a picture of the life that we live after we're saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We die with Christ. We rise with Christ. We are to live a life that is new. We should live a life that looks different than the life that we used to live. And I hope that defines your Christian life. You know, for some of you, and, and I heard an amen there, for some of you that lived a, a completely different life, it's pretty easy for you to see the difference. For those of us who were saved as children, it's a little bit more difficult to discern the difference. But what I, the way that I look at it is, though, that the life that I lived since I got saved looks much different than the life I would have lived if I had never gotten saved. There's still a great contrast between the two lives, even though I didn't have to walk through it the way that some of you did. So we have to know our position in Christ. We have to know what the resurrection means. In verse 6, we have to know that sin doesn't have to be our master. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Before salvation, you had one option, and that was to serve sin. He was the boss of you. That old nature, that old man was your boss. But Paul writes in verse 7, though, but he that's dead is freed from sin. So you were the, the servant of sin, but you died with Christ. And by dying with Christ, it means that you're dead to sin. And, and without being disrespectful, uh, I use the illustration even of yesterday. We had a casket right up here in front of these steps. And in that, inside that casket was a body of a beloved church member, Dennis Heiser. And Dennis passed away this week, and we wanted to honor and respect him yesterday, and, and I, I feel like we did in that service, but, but there was no tempting Dennis yesterday. He was in that casket, and he was dead to all the external stimuli that could have, that could have come to him. And again, not trying to be disrespectful to him, this is the illustration that Paul uses. Basically, you cannot tempt a dead man. You can't, you can't tempt him with food. You can't tempt him with a, a drink of alcohol. You can't tempt him with lust. There, it has no effect on him. 
And what Paul is saying is in the same way that you cannot tempt a dead man, you as Christians, you are dead men. You are dead. The sin does not have to be your master. It does not have to tempt you. But the problem is that we keep paying the old landlord. Now, if we were to say that Mr. Smith is represented by the flesh and Mr. Jones is represented by the spirit, when you get saved, you know, you've been paying this landlord your whole life. But when you get saved, now you've got a new landlord. So when the old landlord comes by to collect his rent every month, you don't have to pay him anything. You belong to someone new and that is who you are to pay. That is the only person that you are obligated to obey and follow and that is your new landlord which is Jesus Christ. So if we would simply act on the things that we know to be true from Romans 6, we could have victory. That's what Paul's telling them. In order to win against sin, there are some truths to know and these truths are significant. The simple knowledge and I just, I'm trying to be transparent and just want you to get it tonight. There's a lot to, to unpack here. But the simple knowledge that I can know deliverance from sin because of my position in Christ and that I was crucified and I died and I was buried and I rose again with Him, that's life-changing. That changes everything. Paul is saying that we have the resources available to overcome these things. But it's not just about knowledge. I mean, knowledge is very important. It absolutely is. It's where everything starts. But knowing something is just the beginning. You know, there's another important word. We'll get to it. But I think you'll understand what Paul begins the the passage with is to kind of say, here's what you need to know. But I, I look at it a little bit like going to college. You know, you go to college. I went to, to, to Bible college and, and I took all of these classes and I was taking classes on doctrine and, and classes on Greek, which I remember very little about. I took classes on pastorology and I took classes on, I mean, you name it, just different things on eschatology, which is the study of the end times and, and pneumatology, which a friend of mine in Bible college thought was the study of numbers, but it's PN, the study of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why they call it pneumatology. I'm just saying that's what it is. You go through all these classes and, and you, you do all of these things and you spend four years. And then I remember my first day on staff at Bible Baptist Church and I was like... Like everything I had heard in the classroom setting. That was weird, I know. Everything I heard in the classroom setting, I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? When I graduated college, I was very confident in my knowledge and in my skills. And maybe you didn't go to Bible college, but maybe you, you, you had your education in some other field. And you went through and you thought, yes, I'm ready for this. And then you get out and it's like, oh, well, now I have to actually use what I was taught for those four years. Or as five or six, depending on, on whether or not you were a good student. But, you know, you get out there and you've got all this knowledge. And, and, but now when you start to have to apply it, that's where it gets difficult. That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's why Paul starts with knowledge. But then he uses another very important word. In in verse 11 he says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I love the word reckon. Uh, Me and Judy, we've got a bond here. We're both Oklahomans. We like that word reckon. I reckon. If you're from the South, you probably have heard people use the term I reckon. It's just, man, it's comfortable. I like it. So you hear that word reckon, 
And most of the time, you know, when you hear it down there, it means, well, I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Kind of in a roundabout, uh, indeterminable, uh, intangible way. Yeah, I suppose that's true. But you know, Oklahoma, as much as I love Oklahomans, um, Oklahomans don't have it right. They don't use the word reckon very accurately. Because reckon is not just to throw out their word. Reckon is an accounting term. You count or you calculate. That's what reckon means. It deals with reality. It says here is the bottom line number. If you reckon that your bank account has $25 in it, it has $25 in it. And I reckon that's pretty accurate. You know, it's not haphazard. It's not like it's you know, used today. It's, it's a hard, fast reality check. And Paul is saying, likewise, in the same th- with the knowledge that I have just given you, knowing these things, knowing your position in Christ, knowing what the resurrection means for you, knowing that you are dead to sin and you don't have to serve that master of sin, it's time to reckon ye yourselves. Likewise, reckon, suppose, or act as if it's true. It's almost as if Paul transitions from here are the facts about your position in Christ to now telling the Romans, but here's what it means. Here's the bottom line. Here's what it literally looks like. Here's the difference that it makes. Paul takes this huge, significant, large truth and he applies it to every believer and says, here's how it's true for you. It's not just something that floats out there. It literally makes a difference for you tonight. It makes a difference for you tomorrow. It makes a difference for you the next time that the landlord comes by and knocks on your door. See, sometimes we can acknowledge the facts and the truth of something, but we don't apply it. If the first part of this chapter is giving information, which is to know, then this verse is, here's the application to reckon. It's not just true. Folks, this stuff is not just true. It's true for you. It makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference the next time you're tempted to sin. See, Paul is saying, God knows that you have been freed from the bondage of sin. Now you need to take it personally and you need to quit living like you don't have a choice and start living unto God. See, if you keep paying Mr. Smith, it's your choice. You're choosing to. And I know it's all you've ever known and and, and it may be hard to stop writing those checks to that old landlord. And you had no choice before, but you do now. Because your life is under new management. See, the fact is, your house, believer, is under a, a new owner. It's time to reckon that to be true. It's time to sit down and crunch the numbers and say, this isn't just uh, intangible. It's not just a feeling. These are cold, hard facts. I am under new management. See, the truth is, you died with Christ. And that old man died, and it's no longer in control of your life unless you let it. You don't have to obey it anymore. I I can't tell you how happy this makes me. Because in my moments of deep despair with sin, it feels pretty hopeless. But if I was to come here and read these verses, then I know I don't have to pay that old landlord. Let not then sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. We don't have to obey it. We don't have to give in to it. 
And it's time for us to reckon that this is true for us. So in other words, we read verses 1 through 11, and instead of just saying, wow, those are great truths, it's time to apply them to your sins. So read verse 2 and say, God forbid, uh, how shall I, who am dead to sin, continue in anger every day? So you see what I'm doing here? I'm starting to take it from some intangible, big picture truth, and I'm going to come down to the bottom shelf, right down here where you live. This is where we live. How shall I, who am dead to sin, continue to live in anger anymore? I don't have to. We could read verse 6 and say something like, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Or we should read that and say, I should not serve sin by continuing children to disobey my parents every day. I start to take these intangible truths and I start making them apply to the things that I'm struggling with and it starts to make it a lot more real. I could read verse 7 and say, for he that is dead is freed from pornography. He that is dead is freed from sin or he that is dead is freed from pornography. He that is dead is freed from alcoholism. He that is dead is freed from drugs. He that is dead is free from anger. He that is dead is free from lust. He that is dead is free from telling lies all the time. He that is dead is free from irresponsibility. He that is dead is free from laziness. He that is dead is free from any sin. You just insert it right there. And that verse makes a difference for you tomorrow. Verse 11, we could read it and say, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed um, unto my critical spirit. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto my bad attitude. Listen, I'm trying to make this, make you see this applies to you. This is not some intangible truth that all you can do is know about it and it doesn't really make a difference. Like the kids going through school and saying, yeah, but why will I ever need consumer math? Well, because you're going to have to balance your checkbook someday. That's what Quicken is for. Now, I mean, you know how that is. Going through school, you start asking, why will I ever need this? How will I ever use this? Well, listen, the first few verses of chapter of 6 are here's what you need to know, and here's how it makes a difference. It's time to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. It's not some weird name it, claim it thing. This is fact. It's reality. It's reality for every believer, and deliverance from sin has been made available to you. I'm just, I love these truths. I mean, I feel, I just, I, it gives me such hope. And, and we could read the, the last uh, few verses here and, and go to the next word that I think um, is, is kind of the main thought here. You've got the thing, you've got the word know. Here are the truths to know. Then you've got the hinge upon which it all turns, and that is wrecking ye yourselves. And then he's got one more word that, is, that shows up here through the last half of the chapter and that is the word yield. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And we could go through and see that this word yield now becomes the theme of the back half of the verse, of the, of the chapter. So you've got no, here's the first part, no, here's great truth. Here's, here's what God means to you. Know your position. Know what the resurrection means. 
Oh, well, here's the hinge. Reckon that it's true for you. Likewise, reckon. Well, now, now that you know it applies to you, it's time to yield yourself to the right master. You know what's true. You reckon for it to be true for yourself. And now you get to where the rubber meets the road. Yield. This is where, as a result of what we know and reckon, we submit to the right master. This is also the point where people, myself included, start to get desperate because it's a struggle. I've tried so many times to yield to God. I just can't do it. I'm not good at yielding. I'm not good at submitting. This is hard for me. You've heard people say that. I've probably said that before. Some of you that are stubborn. Some of you that are strong-willed. Some of you that are, um, without being too uh, derogatory, some of you that are pig-headed. I've been pig-headed myself before, and I very much can be. And we say, oh, I'm just not good at yielding. I'm not good at submitting. This is really hard for me. I mean, I'll, I'll yield sometimes, but then well, I just blow it in the afternoon. It doesn't work. I'm not good at yielding. Well, it's, it's understood giving away to something else or someone else is not easy. Yielding is not easy. But Paul gives us a very good reminder here in verse 13 when he says, neither yield ye your members as, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. What he's saying is, you're actually very good at yielding. You're very good at submitting. The problem is, the Romans and us have spent their entire lives yielding to the wrong master. See, it's not a matter of, I have a tough time yielding. It is a matter of, I have a tough time yielding to the right one. The problem is not, I can't yield. The problem is, I just tend to yield toward the wrong master. And the last part of chapter 6 is about yielding to God. And, And unfortunately, we struggle breaking free from the master of unrighteousness and sin. And we could go through these verses and see... Very clearly, um, in verse 16, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. What he's saying there in that verse is, you make the choice about which master you're going to serve. You can either serve sin unto death or obedience unto unto righteousness. Verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. The old life is a life of being a slave to his sin, but when God changes us, we no longer have to be a servant to sin. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Again, he's saying, you've had a whole lifetime of practice yielding to that which is unclean. Yielding to that which is unrighteousness the same way that you used to submit to that unrighteousness and that uncleanness, it's now time to take that same will and yield it to the right master, that which is righteous and will lead you to holiness. He's just telling them, again, that you're good at yielding. You've just spent your whole life yielding to the wrong master. Verse 20, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. He's saying no man can serve two masters. If you're bound to one, you're free from the other. There's no sharing. Verse 21, and I'm going through these quick. 
because we won't spend much time, but verse 21, what fruit had ye then in those things where ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And what he's saying is the end of yielding to the wrong master or unrighteousness, which is sin and flesh, that leads to death and destruction. So that's the only option you have. He's telling them, if you continue to pay the old landlord, very soon your house is going to fall down. That's what he's trying to get them to see. And then he closes that, that chapter with that verse that we all know, for the wages of sin is death. That's the end of yielding to the wrong master. And Christian, member of Eastside Baptist Church tonight, if your life is characterized by yielding to the wrong master and paying the old landlord, your house will not stand very long. It leads to destruction. And it comes down to this big idea, there's only one master worth yielding to. Back up in verse 13, neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves. Unto who? Unto God. Don't even, what he's saying is, don't even give a small part of yourself to the old man. He's dead. And, and a lot of Christians will say, yeah, I don't pay the old landlord. I don't pay him anymore. I only pay my new landlord. But once a month that old landlord comes by and the rent's maybe $1,200, but you just give him like $4. And we think, I'm not paying the old landlord, well, maybe $4. Well, before too long, the old landlord is going to come back and say, that's not enough, I need a little bit more, so he raises the price. And before you know it, you were used to be paying the new landlord, well, now you're giving all $1,200 to the old landlord again. If we just give him an inch, then he'll start working until he's got all of it again. And Paul is saying, don't even give a little bit of it. No, there's no such thing as just righteousness with just a little bit of unrighteousness. If there's just a little bit of it, it's all unrighteous. Be what you are. That's what Paul's saying. You're a child of God. You've been set free from the power and control of sin. Deliverance is yours. Victory is yours. Why do you continue to let your sin nature be the boss of you? Be what you are. Why would a Christian who has the choice, continue to live under the bondage of a master who only seeks to destroy him. I don't know, but we do. Verse 18, he said, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. He says, you've been made free from sin, so serve God. Be what you are. It'd be kind of like, you know, if I, just to use this as an illustration, you know, this hymnal, and it comes to church every week. And at every invitation time, it comes forward and responds at invitation, which that would be a sight to behold. But it comes down to the altar, and every week it prays, Lord, please make me a hymnal. Lord, please turn me into a hymnal. And the whole time, we're watching it and we're saying, you are a hymnal. You already are one. So our problem is, is that we're coming and we're saying, God, please, please give me victory over sin. Please give me everything that I need to have victory. And God is saying, you already do. You already have victory. It's already yours. And you are a hymnal. 
You're already there. All the resources that are available to you um, are right there, ready for your taking. All you have to do is be what you are. Don't pray to be crucified or pray to have new life. You have new life. And it's silly to pray for it. Be what you are. That's all he's saying. And the end of serving this master is not destruction. The end of serving this master is holiness. It's a life that God is pleased with. A life that will pay off in eternity. So why would you choose to pay the landlord that's going to come by with a tractor and take your house down when you could be paying the landlord that will give you everything you ever hoped for to be happy and content as a child of God? And we are bad at making that decision. The end is clear. That one is destruction. This master is holiness and happiness. So which one are you going to choose? Teenager, I'm looking at you tonight because you're, you're coming to the years where you have a crossroads in front of you and you have a decision to make and, you're, and the world is going to tell you, oh, serve the old man. Pay the old landlord. Uh, give him what he wants because it's a life of fun. But I can go around the room, I guarantee it, and ask person after person after person who has spent time paying the old landlord and dealt with the consequences and watch their house crumble down around them and it makes it look so good, it makes it look so grand, it makes it look so appealing, but it always ends in destruction. And young person, you have an opportunity to make a choice. You can either pay the old landlord or start paying the new landlord and start living a life of holiness, which is a life of happiness. You have a choice to make. And it's not just these young people It's us old people too. I just want to spare them from some of the heartaches that we've been through. And let them see from the very beginning, go make the right choice. I know what it's like to feel like there's no choice. We say, as much as I want to be free, I just can't shake it. I'm destined to live under the cruel hand of this tyrant master, which is sin and flesh. Y'all pray for me. I just, and this is my destiny. I'm just going to, this is where I'm going to have to be. I know the feeling, but there's a transformative thought in this passage, in this chapter, and it's begun to take hold in my own heart, which is why I'm preaching it today. And here it is. See, we often view when we sin like we've been defeated. Well, it just beat me again. And that means when we say that, it means we treat sin like it's the better opponent. We treat sin like we were outmanned. We treat sin like we were outmatched. And, and on that day, sin, that old man, the flesh, oh, it just got the best of me. It just, it defeated me. You know, some days it's just so strong. But do you realize Paul never talks about the sin nature that way? I mean, he talks about how he wishes it, would, it was different and how he's constantly battling it. But he never gives it credit as the superior opponent. See, in Bible terms, when it comes to sin, we're never defeated. You say, well, maybe you aren't, but I sure am. No, you're not defeated. See, that would be giving too much credit to a master that you no longer are obligated to pay. That's giving credit to a master that has no power over you. See, when we sin, it's not, and if you're writing anything down, write this one down. When we sin, it's not about being defeated. It's about being disobedient. 
When we sin, it's not about being defeated. It's about being disobedient. Meaning I have every resource available to me to overcome that sin that's trying to trip me up. I have every resource available to me. I'm not the underdog. I'm not outmanned. It doesn't have a better strategy. It doesn't have better players. It doesn't have more experience. It doesn't have more power. I simply have chosen to lose to it. Sin, when we sin, we treat it like we're defeated, but it's not about being defeated. It's about being disobedient. And what that does is it takes away our excuses. Because we can no longer say, well, it's just too strong for me. No, you choose it. You choose to disobey because you have everything, every resource available to you to overcome sin. Look at verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Do you notice that word there? It's obey. And he uses it a few times. See, this is a matter of obedience. Winning against sin simply comes down to knowing truth, uh, applying it to your life, and then yielding to the right master. And when we do, we're obeying. And when we don't, it's not that we've been defeated. It's not that it's too strong. It's because we have chosen to be disobedient. You know, it gives us hope because you can realize that you don't have to be the underdog. You don't have to be outmanned. God has already delivered you. It's just time to be what you are. You're the victor. You've already won. He's given you everything you need to win against sin. The last week I, I mentioned it uh, last Sunday morning when I was talking about the advocate. Talking about how you get to the place where you just you feel like there's just no hope. And I should have asked for permission, but I talked about Lacey a little bit when she was little. Because none of our children were as broken as Lacey when she would get in trouble. And I'm telling you, I'm thankful for that tender heart. I'm thankful that when she would get in trouble, we'd go talk about it. She would just be broken about it. But I remember having conversations with her, and she just said, I just can't get it right. I'll never get it right. I don't know why I disobey. I don't know why I do this. You know, we can feel like that sometimes. We can get to the place where we just feel like there's no hope. I, I can't overcome this. Uh, our heart is broken. And, and I remember having conversations with her and with all of my children, really, where she said, I'm trying my best and, and I will do better. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this happen. And she would demand more of herself. That's kind of, the, that's kind of the way that she would approach it. And I do the same thing. Say, God, this is an area I just cannot gain victory in. And I, I really want to gain victory, but I struggle here. And you know what? I'm just going to make this happen. I'm going to do this, and that'll get rid of that issue. And I'm going to do this. That'll help strengthen this one. I'm going to do this and this and this. And I'm going to come up with a plan, and I will make this happen, pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm going to overcome this. We start demanding more of ourselves and thinking that's the way that it's going to happen. But that is never the way that God delivers us from sin. His way is not to strengthen me, but to provide his strength in my weakness. God's way is to deliver us not by giving us strength, 
but by crucifying us with His Son. Removing us from the picture completely. Self-effort only brings about more frustration. It is only when I trust His plan for deliverance that I get to experience it. And He's given us His plan for deliverance in Romans 6, we're crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're crucified with Christ, that flesh, we're still living it, but there's something else animating our bodies. And that is Jesus Christ. That's that's how much we have to remove ourselves from the picture. It's not about you coming up with a new formula to defeat defeat your sin. You You are crucified with Christ, so be what you are. Not tactics or tricks, but through Christ. That's the reality. We simply have to obey. It'd be kind of like, uh, and I use Hal's illustrations probably too much, but if it had come down to when we were building our house, and let's say that I could have built a basement. Uh, I like basements, okay? Except when they flood, amen? Some of you here tonight, Ms. Sherilyn's like, amen. When they flood, they're no fun, but let's say I want to build a house with a basement. The pad is cleared, and the land is cleared, and everything's ready, and I, I, mark, mark, I mark it all out with my flags, and, and I know how big it's going to be, and, uh, and somebody comes along, and you know, I, I rent a backhoe. They bring a backhoe in, and, and they say, all right, here you go, here are the keys. I say, thanks a lot. I'm going to get to work. So after they leave, I put the keys in my pocket. And I go to the, the backside of the property where I've got some tools and I pick up a shovel. Then I walk back to where that pad is and I start digging. And I dig and I dig and I dig and after about a week I've got a hole about 10 feet wide and about 4 feet deep. After a couple weeks, it's maybe a little bit bigger, but the ground is hard and it's Oklahoma clay and it's terrible and ugly and red. After about a month of it, I've got maybe like 10% of that foundation dug. After a couple months, I've maybe up to 30%. You know, I've been working pretty hard. At this point, I'm just blistered and I've, I've got sunburns and, and my hands are, are just raw and and my muscles hardly work anymore i'm just so tired but i'm going to dig this foundation so i keep working after a few months i'm finally getting close and then i hit bedrock and you don't do much with bedrock with a shovel but i keep i keep chipping away at it and i'm pounding and pounding and i'm breaking shovels left and right and i've got Very little progress to show for all my effort. And all the while, there's a backhoe with a key, fueled up. And what what has taken me three months to do, I could probably spend three days and get that thing dug. And that is a picture of our Christian life trying to beat sin. 
We're trying to do it on our own strength. And all the while, we have all the resources available to us to, to win against sin. Yet our hands are blistered and our muscles are tired and we're disappointed and we're discouraged and we're giving up hope and all we're doing is disobeying. Because the resource is available. You know, when I watch my kids growing up and I, they're struggling through their obedience process and, and their, de- their desperation at times, it's just a reflection of myself. I feel helpless when sin comes. It's so strong. I'm so weak. It's just relentless. It comes back. I wish I could change it, but I can't. The truth is, I don't have to. It's already been changed for me. The work is done. We were crucified. The old man was buried. And when Christ rose, deliverance from sin became mine. And if I know these truths and I reckon them to be, to be applicable to myself, and I yield to the right master, I can have deliverance. And this truth is not self-help, it's supernatural help. Paul's not giving some magical formula, he's giving us facts. This is something God has already made possible, it's already been done, been done for you. You simply make a choice to activate the truth that's already in place, and simply be what you are by obeying. Deliverance from sin is a benefit available to God's children. It's time to stop paying the old landlord. He doesn't have to be the boss of you anymore. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.